Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Blog Talk Radio. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the Lord. Got miles to go before we sleep. Lawman is putting into my running and I'm so we will not go gently. Uh, we're going to unleash hell here in December. Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hey, somebody fix this guy's buckle. Hey, you play football? coming down from the gallows and I don't have Ladies and gentlemen of Steel Nation, welcome back to another episode of the Behind the Steel Curtain flagship podcast, The Standard is the Standard. I'm Jeff Hartman, editor of Behind the Steel Curtain. With me, as always, on this Thanksgiving Eve, Lance Williams out on the West Coast. How's it in California, Lance? I'm chilling, baby, a.k.a. Color Rush. Excited to see the Color Rush <laughs> uniforms tomorrow. Should be fantastic after everyone is rolling over three or four times after eating a bunch of turkey. And, Jeff, you know a lot about the body and eating right and training. What, what's the name of the chemical that's contained in turkey that makes everybody pass out? Uh, it's called tryptophan. There you go. See, that's why we're the flagship <laughs> show. You know, he didn't even know I was going to ask him that, but I knew he knew that. That's why we're the flagship. That's why yeah, we're exactly. the flagship. Yeah, exactly. I, I hate calling you out like this, but you should remember they're not wearing their color rushes tomorrow night. They're, that's the Christmas game against the Ravens. They're going to wear their standard white road unis tomorrow. I thought it was the color rush. Oh, maybe that's why we're not the flagship. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was color rush. So they're not going to nah, wear nah, their nah, nah, uniform nah. tomorrow? Oh, no, just a regular white, probably wear like all regular gray white. or something. Oh, okay. All right. I was getting excited. You know, I, I jumped to cut. Premature coloration. Uh, that, that's what that was. 
Well, you know, Lance, tonight is the, uh, I don't know where the study actually started or came from, but they said that tonight, the day before Thanksgiving, is the biggest party night of the year. That's bigger than New Year's, you name it. Um, I'm sure you're getting ready to party out on the uh, out on the West Coast, here on the East Coast, while well, I'm just sitting here watching some Pittsburgh Penguins hockey. But let's get right to things. We don't want to keep people too long tonight if you're listening live, or if you're listening in podcast form, you're listening, you know, on a you're going to be listening on Thursday, the day of the game, so you probably don't have a ton of time to sit around. And we're not going to dwell too long on the Browns game. It is the Browns, after all, but there is some stuff we're talking about. Dan's um, quick reaction of the Browns game, I know there's not much. A lot of people take it with a grain of salt. What were your thoughts, offensively or defensively, about the Cleveland Browns game? Well, defensively, the front seven was outstanding. And, you know, I wanted to really point out Stephon two at four tackles, two and a half sacks, two tackles for loss, four quarterback hits. The front seven overall had eight sacks, ten tackles for loss, and 14 quarterback hits. And that's a great response to the loss of Cameron Hayward. But my immediate thought after beating the Browns was, you know, they should beat the Browns. Even coming off of a four-game losing streak, they should beat the Browns. But, again, when you watch this football team, it's all about playing clean football. I was going to go through a litany of plays that uh, detail just how uh, you know how they're still not playing clean, precise football. But I'll just give you one, and the one that stood out to me was the fourth and ten play in the fourth quarter, where they get the sack, uh, where, where they force the fumble, it gets recovered, they run it back for colors is called for a roughing the passer. Now, it was a, it's a physical mistake, but it's a mistake yet and still, and it's just not clean. And a defense like this and a team like this still need those type of plays, and I'm still uh, eagerly anticipating them playing some clean football. Well, yeah, I agree with all that you said. I, there's still – I know it's the Browns, and everyone's going to say exactly what you said in regards to, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But at the same time, I get the feeling that that's kind of like a get-right game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They, they needed that game. I mean, they had been play, they had played in that four-game stretch. I mean, think about the teams that they played. They played a Miami Dolphins team, which everyone thought was garbage. Well, guess what? They haven't lost since they played the Steelers. Uh, they played the New England Patriots. They played the Dallas Cowboys, and they played a tough AFC road game, AFC North road game against the Ravens. Um, That's a tough stretch. And so they finally play a team that is markedly weaker than they are. And in my opinion, defensively, they did everything they should. Offensively, the first half was just textbook. Second half, not so much. Um, What did you think about offensively? I want to get your thoughts on the end of the first half. Uh, As I'm sure you recall, they have five seconds left. Instead of trying to uh, just kick the field goal, they decided to go for it. Roethlisberger holds onto the ball way too long. Thankfully, there's a penalty. They get another shot. Untimed down. Another penalty. Finally, on the third attempt, Le'Veon Bell runs in. And then they go for two-point conversion after that. What were your thoughts on the decision-making of the coaching staff at that moment? Pure bufangu, uh, flip off the media. Although I thought in that situation, get the two points to get up Get, get up two touchdowns or, you know, get the two touchdowns and fortune on the board was smart. But that, that was a bouffant go, a straight F you move to the media. All the fans <laughs> after going forward for four times, he comes back and goes for it the next game. So that was kind of a, yeah, how you like me now. 
I thought the decision-making at the end of the half was terrible. I thought the execution was terrible. And, and that's really how sometimes when players don't execute properly, how it can get the spotlight on the coach. I'm sure they didn't tell Roethlisberger to go out and hold the ball and waste all the time. But it's going to make Tomlin look bad and the coaching staff look bad. I agree with Rich Gannon. I thought it was a terrible move. Even though it did work, I thought they should have kicked the field goal. They were in total control of the game, kicked the field goal. Because if they don't make it, uh, you know, it's 6 nothing and it's a ball game. I didn't like that decision making. I thought that was uh, I thought that was too aggressive in that spot. Well, you just lost a lot. You just lost a lot of respect from you because you just said you agreed with Rich Gannon. That guy's horrible. Um, he's the only person that's worse, in my opinion, is Phil Sims. I cannot stand Phil Sims. But Rich Gannon is quickly moving up that ladder because, gosh, I mean, he makes no sense. He's very homerish. I can't stand the guy. But that's a quick side note. Um, Something we talked about off the air I wanted to bring up on the air, and that is the amount of touches or possessions or receptions or carries for Le'Veon Bell especially, but also Antonio Brown. I mean, you look at the statistic against the Browns, who it's not a good defense. If your name wasn't Brown or Bell, combine all the receptions from the rest of the team, and it only added up to seven. However, you look at Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, they both had eight receptions themselves, meaning they each had eight. What, what, what was this? You said Le'Veon Bell had 38 total touches in that game. Is that correct? 37 to be precise. 28 rushing attempts. Okay. Targeted nine times. So he had 37 gotcha. touches. Or he had thirty. He had 36 touches because he cut the eight receptions. And you think that's too many? That's a lot. I mean, I, I think, especially on a short week, and we were talking about it off air. Let's just guess that he got hit on those 30 times. You know, football is a tough physical game. We all know that. And coming back on a short week, I mean, I'm sure he had ice. He was in the tub. You know, I'm, I'm sure they did everything they can to get him right. But, you know, that's tough, man. That's another football game within, like, four days. You get about 30 hits on your body, and you're, and you're responsible for that amount of the load. I mean, that's tough. It would be nice uh, if they could spell that or, or get some of that load off of him and find another person to target with the basketball, excuse me, with the football. Yeah, um, well, they're desperately in need of a, of a second wide receiver. I have a hunch that we're going to see the return of Sammy Coates on, on tomorrow, Thursday night. I keep on wanting to say Sunday. I apologize. I think that if you listen to Todd Haley when he met with the media um, I want to say that was Tuesday. Everything is so truncated with a short week. Um, he had some interesting comments about Sammy Coates and those broken fingers. Now, on Monday, Mike Tomlin said that the reason he hasn't been playing is because, well, he has two broken fingers. It's tough to catch the football. And then Todd Haley comes out and basically says, well, in his opinion, it's kind of mind over matter, that essentially you've been cleared to play. You can play special teams. You should be able to catch a football. I don't know why. I have a feeling that we're going to see more of Sammy Coates this, this Thursday. And, you know, if anything, even if Sammy Coates doesn't have a big game like he did against the New York Jets when he broke his fingers, just him being on the field, even if he, if he can just take the defense and make them stretch a little bit, would be a huge bonus. But other than Sammy Coates, if you're offensive coordinator, how are you spreading the love a little bit more than just Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell? I mean, I think they have to start trying to incorporate the tight ends 
hopefully Ladarius Green is moving a little bit better. His movement skills are definitely better when he was healthy at San Diego. But, you know, going back to, you know, your point about Bell and your point about the offense and Coates, Coates in particular, remember me this, Jeff. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Very simple question. We're in agreement. He doesn't have good hands. The Sammy Coates have right. broken fingers on one of those hands. Reportedly, Counselor. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't have good hands and you have broken fingers on one of those hands, let me ask you the last question. Do you think that would make his hands better or worse? Well, I would have to say worse. Okay, I just wanted to put that out there for the court. Uh, and, and for everyone in the courtroom to hear, I just wanted to put that line of questioning because, you know, call me Spock if I'm getting my logic on. Broken fingers on a guy that's not Jerry Rice or Larry Fitzgerald, who who had numerous drops in a football game earlier this year, would suggest that huh, catching the football, which he already struggles with, might be a touch more difficult, but I, that's just an aside. Well, <clears throat> yeah, and that's obvious, but at the same time, he has made big plays. And at the beginning of the season, he was averaging almost 40 yards of reception at one point and one down to about 25, 30. That's still an amazing clip. So he is capable. Does he have Antonio Brown hands? No. Does he have... Martavis Bryant hands, no. And that's not saying a lot because Martavis Bryant is not a sure-handed receiver either. But um, I think that if Coates were able to just be on the field more, defenses are going to have to respect him. I know what you're saying. And I, I know that, I agree and, with that. Hey, you want to call – I agree with you wanna that. Call, you want to call the – you're basically challenging the offense to say, look, you don't think that he's going to go deep and you don't think we're going to throw it to him. Well, go deep, chuck it deep, and see if maybe – by the grace of God, one falls right into the bread basket and he doesn't have to really catch it with his hands, and they get a big play out of it. So, Or maybe a pass interference call, but I think they need him on the field because I like Toby Hamilton. He is great at high-pointing the football. He's a, a decent route runner, but he doesn't have the elite speed to stretch the field. I mean, even Darius Aylor Bay, who's another one that's very inconsistent when it comes to catching the football, has the speed to translate to getting the defense to back off and that gives Antonio Brown more space to move. So the offense has some issues right now. They need someone to step up. And when you're talking about the tight ends, I wrote about this earlier in the week when I looked at the snap totals. You know how many, how many plays Ladarius Green played in against the Cleveland Browns? I'm going to guess five or fewer. Well, you're, you're, you're actually close. It was eight. He played in eight snaps. Okay. You knew who played in more snaps? Yeah. Chris Hubbard as a tight end. I know they were bringing out the jumbo package in running plays and situations like that, but they played Chris Hubbard 12 times and they only played Ladarius Green eight. At what point, you know, I know he's working his way back in. I know he's not known for his blocking. They need to get this guy as part of the offense, and I know it's not probably going to happen on a short week, but I would hope when they play the Giants at home in week 13, that might be the time we actually see where Darius Green get to, you know, the offense gets to really open up. Kind of been, I've kind of been disappointed with Darius Green so far, but I keep wanting to tell myself it's been a long road for him back to the football field. But uh, what are your thoughts on him? 
Yeah, I mean, he had what? Uh, you know, he had the issues with the ankles. I mean, it, it's it's you know, your ankles are are, are vital, cutting, moving. Uh, I, I would just say give him some time, and the fact that he's new in the offense as well, and they haven't had a ton of time to practice together due to the injury. So I wouldn't expect him to really contribute to. You know, maybe even later in the season. I, I think your thought of the Giants game is probably right on. But, you know, sorry if I'm a little less optimistic about Sammy Coates. You know, once I see fingers come out of your pecs or out of your helmet, uh, if I see those things happen, maybe I'll be more optimistic so he can catch you with his chest <laughs> or his helmet. Uh, but until those things happen, I don't know. But I, but I do agree 100% with the thought that, they have to be less horizontal, more vertical to get a safety out of the box so they can run against light boxes against seven. Uh, because when they try to run against eight, although this is a very good offensive line, it struggles when it has to do that. Well, and the Colts' defensive front is not very good. Their linebackers aren't very good. Their entire defense, in my opinion, isn't very good. But before we go on to the Colts, I want to ask you one more question. It's a defensive question. I'm an optimistic guy. You know that. If anyone listens to the show knows that. That's why you call me Joy, and you're a Debbie Downer all the time. But still, tell me that the pass rush, there's hope. I know they had eight sacks, a lot of pressures. Tell me that there's hope without Cam Hayward, that they're, they're going to find a creative way to create pressure. They kind of did that against the Browns. You saw Lawrence Timmons coming off the edge. They moved Stephon to it around the, the defensive line of scrimmage a lot. Um, and they brought you, they had unique ways of bringing pressure. What are your thoughts on the pass rush moving forward? And don't forget, Bud Dupree should be in the mix Thursday, even though he only played one snap on Sunday. Well, I'm going to be consistent and true to who I am. I'm going to give you a ray of light for Thursday's game, but not necessarily moving forward, because Indianapolis has given up 35 sacks, second worst in the league, and they have an ASR of 9.0 adjusted sack rate, meaning they give up a sack on 9% of the pass plays. So with that said, I think they can continue to play pretty well against a bad offensive line. Moving forward, I'm not so optimistic, but I think the pass rush will be better because James Harrison is getting more snaps, and congratulations to Debo on setting the all-time record for the Steelers. And, Jeff, how could you not give that guy the game ball? Come on, man. Winners and losers, he wasn't a winner anyway. But they will get better (laughs) because Harrison's going to play. He's going to start, play more snaps, and Bud Dupree will play more snaps. That's the best rotation. And with Jarvis Jones playing fewer snaps, that also helps. First, let me, uh, you know, you, you verbally attack me on the air. Let me let me defend myself. Outside of the question of the sack, I guess they gave him a whole sack or the half sack, whatever he needed. Did James Harrison have a particularly good game against the Browns? Yeah, he got the sack that made him the all-time Steelers. <laughs> Come on now. Answer the yeah. question. Answer the question. I'm not – we don't do winners and losers based on all-time stats. Winners and losers are based on that game. And honestly, James Harrison has always struggled against Joe Thomas, and it's not a surprise that that sack was not against Joe Thomas. It was against the guard. I don't know his name. But James Harrison was a non-factor in that game other than that one sack. So 
he didn't make his way on the winners and losers. If I had an honorable mention, I would have given him the honorable mention, tip of the cap, congratulations, he broke the record. But you know I'm right when I say that, right? <laughs> well, you know, you know what they say is <laughs> my aunt had, she'd be my uncle. He did have the sack. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I, 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 come on now, come on now. You got to make exceptions. You got to make an exception. Yeah, I guess. Come maybe. on now. Well, let me ask you this. There's, there's a guy that's on the defensive uh defensive side of football. In my opinion, he's a tough nut to crack. You've watched more uh, film than I have probably. And that's Anthony Chiquillo. He's been playing more and more snaps. He was the he played the most snaps um in the uh in the game from the outside linebacker perspective. What are your thoughts on Chiquillo, his progression? I think he in my opinion, just from the, the eyeball test, he's been getting better week by week the more he's been playing. You agree or disagree? I agree with that. He's a good rotational player. You know, he's pretty much straight up and down, no special effects. He has to be a high-motor guy because I don't think he has the natural bend like the James Harrison in his prime when James Harrison had that bend to get around the edge, uh, or, or he doesn't have that bend like a Vaughn Miller where he could just get really low to the ground, get around those those tall tackles and get that, that bend that you have to have. Uh, and he's not particularly explosive but I think he's a great rotational player. I think he's a guy that if one of your top-line guys go out, he could spell you for a couple of games. But I don't think he's a guy that anybody's going to game plan around. I don't think offenses probably feel uncomfortable in blocking him. I don't think you're going to see protections being slid in his direction. But I think he's a great depth guy, great rotational guy, and a very solid draft pick. So I think that, you obviously said that um, Dupree and Harrison are going to be your ideal outside linebacker tandem. My question then is, well, who are your backups then? I think Chiquillo's earned that on the left side. Do you move Arthur Mose to the right side and really put El Busto out of business? Or they've been dropping Jarvis Jones into coverage so much that you have to wonder if they even think that he can rush the passer. Against the Cleveland Browns, he's given do. up all of Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. Let me not cut you off. I was just going to say, I mean, against the Browns, I mean, they, they've given up multiple sacks in that game. I think they're already at six, and I'm watching, like, they got to let Jarvis at least get after quarterback once. Nope. Every time he was on the field, dropping in coverage, dropping in coverage. So that either tells me that they have no faith in him rushing the, the passer or that they just really like his coverage skills. But would you move most to the other side and say, look, here's our four? Or what, how would you handle that? I mean, I hope the tale isn't as easy as it was for you to discover it because if that's the case, they'll know in those situations Jarvis Jones is dropping in coverage and, and how many guys are being being rushed. So I hope it's a little more difficult right. than that. Uh, maybe it's uh, maybe they split the reps between both of those guys, where Chiquillo is the mainstay of our Debo, Dupree, Chiquillo, and they split snaps between Moltz and Jarvis Jones. You know, you could do it that way with both of those guys still playing special teams. Uh, I don't think I don't Wait. think either one is better than the other to warrant the one sitting down. I mean, they're about the same, so split the snaps between the two if you can. Yeah, and, and I don't think that, um, you know, when if you watch the film again, and I know it happened at least a handful of times because it's enough that I noticed it. A couple of those occasions that Jarvis Jones dropped in the coverage was when 
Lawrence Timmons slid and started almost as an edge rusher, um, which was really unique yeah. spin. And Timmons actually had a lot of success with that. And I thought that was a great scheme, a great change on uh, Butler's behalf on trying to create unique ways of rushing the quarterback. So maybe we'll see more of that with Timmons. I think Timmons is probably, outside of Dupree and Harrison, maybe their third best edge rusher. That says a lot about their edge rushers, though. Wow, yes, it does. <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, let's get to the Colts. Uh, the news on the, the Colts came in. You know, there's a lot of stuff that something's got to give this Thursday night. The Steelers are not very good on Thursday night games. I don't think they have a winning record at all. I think they might have had, had a little bit of a losing streak, to be honest with you. Um, haven't won on Thanksgiving since uh, well before you and I were both born, Lance. And uh, something's got to give. Now, they have a they have it set up on a tee for them. The Indianapolis Colts, if, if everyone's heard that Andrew Luck has been ruled out for the game, Scott Tolson is going to play. Now, um, fortunately for me, uh, I had my I got my review back. I guess so. We do five questions with the opposing website uh, every week, and I asked about this guy, and he said he's only played it. He's only started five games in his career, um, and he hasn't hasn't won many. I think he has a one touchdown to five interception ratio. He's kind of a game manager type <laughs> player. Um, definitely not someone that's going to strike fear in a defense, but still. This is the Steelers this year. They're very inconsistent. You never know what you're going to get. It's kind of like Forrest Gump. You know, you just never know what you're going to get. Tell me what your keys to victory are for the Steelers' defense, and especially without luck at quarterback, does it change the philosophy? I think it should, but I would like to know what you think. Well, as always, I give you guys a rhyme when I break a game down, and it's simple. If the Steelers want to put the sixth win in the bank, stop Frank a.k.a. Frank Gore, or better known as Frank Gore, average of four yards, carry four touchdowns. You know, when you got an inexperienced quarterback starting a Scott Tolzien in the one-dimensional, and that starts by taking away Frank Gore, put the game in Tolzien's hands, and also what will help the Steelers in this ballgame is they can get up on Indy pretty quickly and really force Tolzien to have to throw the football they're a pretty good running team, although their yards to carry isn't great. They're ranked seventh, according to Football Outsiders. Really good running in between the tackles, where they rank second. Look for a nice battle between Hargrave, Tewitt, and Matthews against Kelly, Harrison, and Good. So I think the Steelers are going to really have to do a solid job in handling the interior running game of the Colts. And I, I would try to see if I could do it with seven initially, if I couldn't do it with seven, I'd drop a safety in the box as an eighth run defender to try to handle it that way. But if they could do it with seven and take him away, that really would put some pressure uh, on Tolzien by not giving him some really clean, predefined looks in one-on-one situations outside the numbers if they play cover three. So if they can stop the run with seven, I think that will go a long way into winning this game. And, of course, from a pressure perspective, we talked about it earlier. They've given up 35 sacks, second worst in the National Football League. So I think that the front seven can get healthy in that regard. But one of the issues that they're going to have to take account of is T.Y. Hilton. If they try to be as aggressive blitzing as they were against Cleveland, 
because of T.Y. Hilton's ability to beat them over the top and really make splash plays. I would let Cockrell travel with him, but I would try to keep the safety shaded to T.Y. What they might do as well, because they move T.Y. all around, is they might put T.Y. in the slot as well. Other guys to look for are Moncrief and Doyle. Tight end is pretty good. I like Doyle. Make some big plays for them. But really, they have to stop Frank Gore. If they can do it with seven and really guard the big play over the top by keeping the safety around T.Y. Hilton, then I think they'll win the ball game easily. So is that how you say the guy's name is Tolzien? I think it's Tolzien, Scott Tolzien. Well, I apologize to him and his family for mispronouncing his name. I really don't care, but uh, <laughs> I said Tolzien. Uh, we'll see what Chris Collinsworth. We'll, we'll see what Chris Collinsworth calls him tomorrow night. It should be interesting. But um, I agree with you. You have to stop the run. You got to put it in his hands. I, I think that if you look back and what I'm going to run the article tomorrow morning with the um, uh, with the Stampede Blue, which is the Colts website for SB Nation. Uh, their editor, who did the question and answer with me, put the hit the nail on the head when he said, "If you look back to the last two meetings with this team, it's kind of indicative of what probably would have happened if Andrew Luck, but it was in the game. They're very reliant on Andrew Luck. And if you think back to the 2000, 2014 game, that was when Ben threw six touchdown passes, but it was a one-score game going into the fourth quarter because Andrew Luck himself, I want to say, threw five touchdown passes in that game. I could be wrong though." Um, but still, you go to 2015, and that was when Andrew Luck was out. He had that last-rated spleen. Matthew Hasselbeck started, then he got hurt. Um, and then um, Charlie Whitehurst, clipboard Jesus, came in, and he played, and they ended up just routing him. And so it kind of has that similar feel to it, uh, you know, with, with what's going on with, with uh, Luck being out of the lineup. But I agree with you. Stop the run, make him one-dimensional. But this is where, in my opinion – the offense comes into play. And you had mentioned, you had kind of alluded to this, that the Steelers, as an offensive team, if they can jump up quick, and if you think back to last year's game, it was when Jarvis Jones had that early interception. Uh, they had some splash plays. They had turnovers. They, Antonio Brown had the punt return where he did the uh, field goal post slide. They had splash plays. The same thing happened against Kansas City this year. They need to have something good happen early. Uh, they're on the road. They've struggled on the road this year, only won two games on the road. The offense needs to do their job, and that's kind of – we talked about this early on. We talked about Le'Veon Bell. Uh, they need to stay on time. You need to run the football, but please, Todd Haley, don't run it in obvious situations. Mix it up. Use those high-percentage passes to open up the run. I can't stand when people get so pissed off when you say things like, oh, well, we need to run to open up the pass. Well, maybe if you're a talented team like the Steelers are, you can pass to open up the run. I have no problem with that whatsoever. So I look at it and say, and I think I said this last week too, and they did it a lot against Cleveland, is bring back the bubble screen. Swing it out there to Antonio Brown, get five yards off the, you know, five yards right off the bat, and uh, take take your second and five. And that's that's a good percentage. That's staying on time. And you're gonna have, you're gonna create more first downs that way, and you're gonna have better drives. And you just hope that the red zone offense is better. Now that's my next key is the red zone offense. I feel like they're gonna be able to move the ball in this this defense. I think with relative ease at that. But I also think that 
And, Trey, I want to get your opinion when I'm done here, Lance. I think that the Steelers need to run the football more in the red zone. They get very pass-happy down in the red zone, and that includes, like, the the two-point conversion plays. I mean, you watch some of the good offenses, and I don't mean, like, good, like, oh, my gosh, they're out of this world, but the balanced offenses. I'm thinking about, like, the New England Patriots. They will run draws, and they will run them effectively anywhere from third and five yards and in. That's what the Steelers need to be. They, if you want to be that well-rounded offense, that's what you need to be. So first things first is, is you be smart, don't be predictable, run the football. But then second is in the red zone, run the football. And lastly, don't turn the football over. They haven't had a turnover in a couple of weeks now. Uh, they need to stick with that. Lady on Bell's gotten a little loose with the football. Tighten it up. Don't give them anything cheap. And I think the, teams win, the team wins this game. But what do you think about the red zone was that are going on right now in Pittsburgh? Do you agree with my sentiment they need to run the football more down there? Absolutely. you got to be multidimensional in the red zone. I absolutely agree. I think they do get a little bit pass happy, considering that they don't have tight ends that they trust in that area. So you pretty much know who it's going to go to when they pass the ball. It's Bell or Brown. So, you know, without a tight end, you know, it really makes it hard to attack the middle of the field in the red zone with the running game. So, you know, I mean, with the passing game, so I think they have to run it more in the red zone to be more effective. But they've been a very good red zone team this year. A lot of people think because of the struggles the last couple of weeks or whatever that they haven't been, but they've been a team this year. They've been top ten for, for most of the year, I think all the year in the red zone, and were top five most of the year until the last couple of weeks, maybe the last two weeks. So, they're still converting 60, over 62% of their red zone trips for touchdowns. So this is still very a very solid red zone team. Yeah, and, and against Dallas in Week 10, people forget, they were, I think, four for four in the red zone. The problem yeah, they was were that, they were, that game, yeah. they were they were 0 for four in two-point conversions, which really soured that really good streak that they had. And then again in Cleveland, they didn't play well in the red zone. And so they only had one touchdown in the red zone. So people were kind of throwing up the red flag. I still think they need to be more balanced though in that area. But if the Steelers can get an early lead, I really like their chances. So let's go to predictions, Lance. What are your predictions for the game tomorrow night on Thanksgiving? I think they're going to beat the Colts 35-17. I'm sorry, sorry about that. I actually muted myself. So you said 35-17? Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay. That was my bad. Uh, so – I actually was going to go with a score similar to that. I actually said instead of 35, I said 31, 31 to 17. I think that's realistic. I think the Steelers are going to put up 30. Um, I actually think this game could be in hand by the fourth. I hope so, but you just never know. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, go ahead, Lance. As always, we give you the, the soapbox at the end of the show to kind of talk about whatever you'd like to. Go ahead and talk to the fans out there before the uh, Thanksgiving night game. I don't have much to say. All I have to say is thank you guys in this Thanksgiving season, you know, from me and Jeff to you guys that listen to the show, you guys that follow the website, you guys that are so passionate about Steeler football. From me and from Jeff and from our family, we would just like to say thank you, and we wish that you guys have an outstanding Thanksgiving, get some rest, get a lot of turkey, and fall asleep after that chemical is ingested into your body. 
That chemical is tryptophan. Tryptophan, everybody. Write that down. So uh, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, Lance, as always, thank you. I hope you have a good Thanksgiving. You you and your family out there on the West Coast stay safe. Everyone listening, do the same. Enjoy the Steelers game. We'll see you next week as we preview the New York Giants game in week 13. We'll see you later. Bye. There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.